want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. From Showtime and A24. What do you love most about Whitney? Comes a new series unlike any other. Where do I even start? Academy Award winner Emma Stone. I like how you fight for us. Nathan Fielder. Money doesn't really matter when it's about doing the right thing. And Benny Safdie. You guys are strong, right? At the end of the day, you're going to survive, right? Next question. New episodes of The Curse, streaming now on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. That from podcast is brought to you by Bogey Dope. Interested in career in aviation, whether that be the military or civilian aviation, Bogey Dope has the instructors. They have the courseware to get you started and launch your aviation path. Click the link down below. And you can use the code Afterburn for 5% off. Vector 01B5, the restricted area 6002 is still active. Sure, Welcome to another round of Bro Chat. This week we have Mike Swag Walker joining us. He's an F 16 weapons instructor. For those of you who don't know what that means, it's like the Air Force's top gun. He's the guy who teaches the guys how to teach. So an instructor's instructor. We actually recorded this via a live stream over on the Afterburn Podcast YouTube channel. It actually aired a couple weeks ago. Just now making it out into the pure audio format here. But if you haven't checked out the Afterburn Podcast on YouTube, I encourage you to do that. If you haven't checked out Vader and Bender over on the Kodiak Shack Podcast, you can find them over there. And they talk a lot of interesting stuff with defense tech and innovation on their podcast. I encourage you to check them out. As always, thanks to everyone who has left a rating review over on iTunes and Spotify. That really helps the podcast out. And make sure you're following the podcast on those platforms because, again, that helps it get shown to more people, and I greatly appreciate it. And as always, thank you to my Patreon supporters for making this all happen. With that being said, let's jump into the podcast with Swag. This is a really, this was a really slow fights on call. It was like <laughs> fights on. So there was a spinning wheel of death, but we're live now. So there we go. Yeah. No go. Well, uh, I think it, it it's me this week. I know we made Bender do it and Vader did it last time, so I'll go ahead and do it. But uh, welcome to Brochat 10.0. We got Swag Walker joining us, which is exciting. F-16 weapons officer, complete bro. I mentioned good dude all around and Swag. A few people chimed in and said that's actually true. So I'd say uh, that's pretty awesome. But yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. We got Bender and Vader from the Kodiak Shack podcast. So if you want to check that out, you need to do that. But I think with all that, like we just now turn it over to Swag and we make Swag tell him, tell tell us about himself. So it's not a trap, Swag. You all can right. you can tell us about yourself. Yeah, and, you guys aren't gonna yell me away. All right. No, 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 that's yeah, fine. Tell us about yourself. Uh Rain. Well, first off, thanks, man, for uh letting me uh let me join uh join in on the podcast. I'm excited to be here for sure and talk with you guys. Uh a little bit about myself. My dad's in the Navy, so uh we kind of moved around growing up, uh called Jacksonville, Florida home. And then from there, I uh, graduated high school down in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, from there, I went to the I was an academy guy uh, and then uh, went to pilot training 
And then uh, from there, F-16 B course. And then I've kind of bounced around the calf just a little bit. Uh, Kunsan to Shaw and then out to Luke. And then uh, uh, back to Kunsan one more time because I didn't have a, enough fun the first time. So I went back for more. And then uh, lastly, I just came back to Luke this past summer and then I've been here since. So, uh, And then now kind of looking at uh, some different options, if you will, uh, most likely some reserves or something like that. We'll see what goes, what happens from there. That's strange. I haven't heard of anyone getting out. And yeah, yeah, no, more. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I might have uh, one of the guys in here talk me into it. So that's good. <laughs> Try to follow up some footsteps. Oh, oh, man. I assume that was Vader. It yeah. wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the elephant in the room really here is the fact that Vader has no mustache. What's up with that? Right. Yeah. I did. I mean, TX complete as of a couple hours ago. So oh, congrats, uh, man. Yeah, thank you. So no mustache required anymore. I no longer need to be bulletproof. Uh, and I needed it sometimes because it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And there were a lot of times where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, why am I in a new airplane? It would be much easier to fly a plane. I know how to fly. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a good time. I had fun using a, uh, a V3 radar, which is the F-15C Radar has multiple variants, but the newest one is a AESA radar. Very, very capable, large, large array with a lot of power behind it. And uh, I screwed it up on the settings the first time I actually flew with it. So I just, they, they were like, why, why is your radar doing this? I was like, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, you screwed it up. So the first <laughs> time I, first and only time so far, I ever actually flew with a ESA radar. I messed it up wholesale. So it was pretty much not as awesome as it should have been. Oh man! You know, so, I, I thought about it. Bender and I flew together when he was my safety observer in the demo. But you know, you do the B course right, and you got an instructor in the back seat, and you get like a couple rides, and then they sprinkle in a few here and there. But I mean, I think between like the B course, and then when I was like getting ready to leave active duty, was the time period between having someone who knew what was going on riding my back seat, and when I did it again. And so I think, I don't know, I did something different. Benner's like, I don't do it that way. But it's, you know, it's so interesting going to like a single seat and you're just like, and I mean, F-35 is the same. Like you could just like get the one course of academics of like how to do whatever. And then, uh, you know, choose your own adventure. Like so long as you kind of get there. So I could see a messing up a radar or two. Yeah. I think if any of you are in my backseat in a Viper, I mean, it would be, you'd be like, this is a mess. Cause it probably was. I've told you before, but in the B course, I had, I did like any of my C model rides. They went pretty well. I usually would get pretty good grades. And then anytime I got into a D model ride, I would get what are they call regressions. Like, what are you doing? Like, no, it all works out. Like, just relax. Like, don't judge me. I feel like that's, that's where the, you know, your IP's in the backseat and he sees you like, like totally blind, but you're not saying anything yet. And you're just like <laughs> doing the raster around the sky. Like, can I find his PPLI before I have to say yeah. blind? He's on the other side of the canopy too. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. yeah, as a B course instructor right now, that, I've seen that quite a few times for sure. I do have uh, one good story about the Anisa if uh, if we've got quick time for it. That's why we have nothing but time. All right, perfect. <laughs> um, so the uh, been flying the F sixteen for quite a while and uh, never got to fly an ESA radar. How uh, one with an Anisa radar? Finally, get my opportunity. I'm flying with the four two two, which is our the F-16 test out at uh, Nellis Air Force Base in uh, Nevada. And uh, we go to take off. I've got an ESA radar, a CDU, uh, which is like a center display unit. And uh, uh, 
it's going to be an awesome ride. We're going out into uh, the Nellis training range and they've got some emitters and we're doing some like destructive suppression enemy air defenses. Uh, so it's going to be an epic ride. Turns out though, uh, I'm having issues with Link 16. Um, so I'm not able to uh, geolocate and help the formation. And then I take off and uh, it's one of the weird weather days and I take off and I get uh, FCR fail. Uh, so the FCR fails now. The ESA radar, my one opportunity to fly with one in the F-16, and it might be my last, uh, potentially. Uh, it fails on me on takeoff. I do multiple power resets, never comes back. My HTS, or my Link 16 doesn't work, so I'm not able to like help out with the uh, destructive mission, if you will. And then my targeting pod wasn't displaying correctly on the center display unit, so I felt like a kind of like worthless I feel like a sea model pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a chunk of metal in the sky, not doing a whole lot for anybody. Oh, yeah. like, At least when I'm in, in the cockpit there. Well, yeah, the, uh, well, I'll get into the, my last flight in the TX. So the F-16 kind of does this too at the, at the formal training course where the students will get like a top off BFM flight um, because they'll do like five months between BFM and then the end of the course. Uh, so in a TX, it's a lot more abbreviated. But uh, but I also get the kind of top off BFM in the C model, uh, but it is different because in the C model, there's a lot, a lot of different game plans. Like when you have rudders that you can actually use to maneuver and, and you can use AOA to kind of cause more problems. So when you're initially starting, you don't really do these. Uh, it's called a clam um, for your uh, for a defensive maneuver. And uh, so you don't get to do them initially. And then what you what you get is this top off BFM where it's like a full up you know, like the cuffs are off and, and the IP's fighting full up and you're supposed to fight as full up as you can. So I'm flying with uh, Ghost, which uh, Rain and Bender, you both know him from your fape time, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Ghost. Yeah. Great dude. great dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, they're real. And, yeah. uh, I was playing yeah. Kadena when we were in Masala. So we actually flew exercises with him in Guam and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, And we would go, I mean, Guam, we'd go to Alaska. We'd see him there. Like it was just all over. Um, so ghost and I are sitting there. It's very, very casual. I mean, instructional, but casual, you know, like last sortie in the TX brief. And he's like, yeah, you know, we'll go out, we'll fly, we'll trade offensive and defensive looks. So we'll do like a 6,000 foot offensive look for you, a 6,000 foot defensive, and then we'll do 3000 foot fights, um, and swap. And so, uh, so he's like, yeah, you know, I'm not that good at BFM. And in the F 16, it's like a weird it's a weird statement. Like nobody's like, I'm good or bad. Like there's some guys who like rake with the gun, but I mean, if you can pull G's, you can like do BFM in the F 16. Um, so I was like, Oh, you know, okay. He's not that good. Uh, turns out he murdered me aggressively. So, and, uh, we're doing uh, you're supposed to do this thing called a min radius rudder turn, which you kind of like put a lot of AOA on the jet. You step on the rudders, you ease off the AOA and you like, you know, in your imagination, you're like flat plating the jet like some Raptor demo. Uh, you're really like aggressively nose low. You're trading a ton of altitude for nose position. Uh, so I'm doing this. And as I'm doing this, I'm like stomping on the rudder and, and thinking I'm creating all these problems for him, like looking out the window like, oh, man. And what I realize is as my nose tracks across the sky, he is effectively on my turn circle and pointing his nose and lead. And I'm like, what? what am I supposed to do? And as I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do here? He's like track. And uh, so I'm in the middle of my defensive maneuver and he just like, just guns the heck out of me. And I was like, gosh, I am worthless. 
nuts. Like this is, yeah, I'm hitting all new lows here. And it was, uh, it was a fun sortie, even though I was, I was demoralized after being just murdered aggressively in the air. I think the problem is not flying something with two engines, a fighter that is, but having watched Top Gun, I mean, are you not doing enough split throttles? I mean, it, that was actually most of, most of the times that was actually my split throttle sortie. So it's like, Hey, you're big boy. Now you can use split throttles. And what ended up happening was I do all the things and I pull the, like in this case, it was the left throttle. I pull the left throttle back and then I just kept pulling it back. Cause the whole time the jet's just kind of flying straight. And I'm like, well, this isn't what I want. So I just keep pulling the throttle back and back and back and back. And I'm like, nothing is going on. And most of the time it's like, I have a, a point in space where I want a input to happen. And then like four seconds after I actually make the jet move and it goes pretty poorly for me. So there's that. Yeah. Oh, that's always fun. Did you guys have anyone in IFF that shut the motors down doing like fighting even in the Viper? Like, uh, I, he was a fape with us. We'll go unmentioned. It just happened. He shut the, the motors down fighting. And I remember in swag and bender and I was like the what 920, the 20th fighter wing, you know, fancy tail jet. I had that doing demo and I was doing the throttle check before I started one day. I just gotten it back from the gamblers who a week of, or, you know, two weeks of BFM. And I just do the test and like rip the throttle right to off. I was like, Oh, well, that would have been a lot of fun had you been out there fighting and ripped it to idle and just shut the motor off. So, so whoops. Yeah. I had uh, anybody at the B course over there. There, there was one back. Yeah, there was one back. I want to say it was right before I got here, 2018 ish, I think. And, um, he, you know, he probably had 15 flights in the F 16 at that point. He was a student and, uh, shuts the motor off, was able to restart it after executing his like critical action procedures. Um, turns out like a working motor, even when you shut it down, it starts right back up. And, uh, so didn't realize though, that he was the one that shut it down. Uh, so he thinks he's got potentially a bad engine. They go to like the closest emergency airfield, which is Lake Havasu. Um, the poor thing about Lake Havasu is it's kind of like high density altitude. So your landing distance is a little bit longer and whatnot. And so he's flying this like, uh, simulated flame out landing in, in case the motor quits out on him again. And he's got a lot of energy. Uh, so what he ends, ends up doing is on final, he's just got all this excess energy. So he's still floating down the runway and it's a short runway and it's high density altitude. He finally touches down, but he's still at like 180 knots with like, I can't remember the exact, uh, but he's with very short runway remaining. Um, and uh, he, he had a working engine, so he could have gone around, but uh, realized that there's, there's a whole complicated, uh, you know, lots of other things that were going on in the sortie, if you will. But uh, his instructor, uh, good on him, who's watching this, like sees it at the end. He's like, hey, you need to get out. Like, you're not going to be able to stop the jet by the end of the runway. Tells him to eject and he ejects and he graduated B course and he's out there flying in the calf still. So, uh, which is awesome. So we do make mistakes for sure. But yeah, that was one of them uh, up here at Luke. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm the only one, uh, but I feel like more times than not, in the F-16, we, they, we, whatever, have caused more Class A's by a precautionary SFO. Like, hey, let me do an SFO just in case the motor quits. And we put a jet off the end of the runway, um, which is why Holloman started doing 
touch and go SFOs uh, for the IPs. Like you could do them whenever you want. And the students, it was part of the syllabus uh, because I think the reality is, you know, I don't, I don't know if everybody uses it, but there's that like, Hey, crossing the threshold at 190 knots or whatever. Uh, and it's like, that's like 50 knots of extra smash, depending <laughs> on your fuel weight. Like, I don't think I want to cross the threshold with 190 knots, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I'm a sea model guy now, so I don't know. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got extra engine. engines. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there are a couple questions. You guys want to answer a few of those? Yeah. Do it. This is the first one from Don. And I think uh, pretty simple. So this is a softball one. Do you guys have requirements, something slash training that are traditions, i.e. the mustache? So. Vader, you might be, it might be appropriate for you to answer this. Like, is there a formal training program where you get all this? Yeah, no, I think, well, actually, I guess IFF. So introduction to fighter fundamentals. Uh, so after you finish pilot training, you get awarded a fighter, whether it's an F-16, 15, 22, 35, A-10, uh, one of those, you're going to go to introduction to fighter fundamentals. And there is where they kind of, you transition from just flying airplanes to like employing airplanes as, as weapons and, and, you know, like doing tactical things. Uh, and in that, they also teach you how to be a wingman in a fighter squadron. So they teach you some of the, the culture, you know, you're going to sweep the floors, you're going to take out the trash, you make coffee and corn and, and your responsibility is to like do that because you're, you're lucky to be a guy who can even sweep the floors in a fighter squadron, uh, at that point. And so then they teach you things, you know, like, Hey, when you go to combat, you know, and a lot of this is like holdovers from like Robin Olds and stuff where guys back in the day grew mustaches kind of as like, not the nicest statement to their leadership. Uh, but now I, I mean, most guys, most people grow, uh, I guess most guys grow mustaches when they deploy. (laughs) And then, uh, and then, uh, and then I normally, whenever it's like some, you know, training that I'm going to do some TDY. I'll normally grow one uh, just because I think it's fun and uh, the wife hates it. So that's also cool. Earning points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, swag. I think this is, this is a softball question for you as a weapons officer, which is another one about that here in a second. But when you guys break the sound barrier, do you feel it or do you just know it from your sensors? Yeah. The bummer is, uh, the bummer is, yeah, you don't, you don't really feel it at all. So you're just looking through. And I remember the first time that I broke the sound barrier, you're just like looking in the lower left portion of your heads up display. And then the, the thing counts from 0.99 to 1.0 and then goes 1.0 on. And you're like, all right, your instructor in the back seat is like, all right, we broke the sound barrier, your speed of sound. And you're like, oh, that was it. Like, where's the, where's the boom, you know? Uh, and that everybody down uh, beneath you is hearing the boom. Uh, and then depending upon how low you go, uh, you could like, you know, damage things, potentially windows breaking and stuff like that. I've heard there's some great stories of people doing flybys at like the Air Force Academy way back in the day. And they would like break the speed of sound at like a thousand or two thousand feet and then blow out the windows <laughs> of like the dorms and stuff like that at the Academy, which is pretty awesome. America. Mm-hmm. This, wow. this, uh, this is on, another go. one for. Uh, I, got, I got a follow up question. There, okay. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Yeah. yeah. So rain, who's been the fastest? I want to know. It's probably rain, but let's hear. Yeah. Can we go first? Yeah. Yeah. I've been mocked 2.05. Okay. There you go. You win. Yep. (laughs) Not even close. Hold on. Let me, let me think. Yeah. No, not fast. (laughs) It helped me having a demo jet and you're like, I just need to go fly this thing. And it's kind of scary going that fast. I'll be honest. What was your indicated at that point? Or where were you at for altitude? 
Oh, I, mean, I, was at, I was at 49,000 feet. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, if I have something happen, and I think Bender, you and I, did we do it coming back from Myrtle Beach show where we went out, like we had to burn gas and we did a little drag race, but we were in like the mid or high 20s. And I felt yeah. like we we're, I mean, we were bumping up against the 800 knots. So yeah. like you, like the wind rush at 770 knots is like, yeah. Mm. I, thought, I thought the thing was going to crumple like a empty soda cans, what it sounded like. That's yeah. what I haven't even gotten close. I think at one point, what was the normal speed that it was like 1.6, right? 1.6. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think I did 1.55 and it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up at 49, it's not as bad. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, as loud, but you have that rapid decompression like piece. And I mean, again, I guess you are going 20 Just miles a minute. Yeah. Just do it so, once. Yeah. <laughs> well, did the nose, because I've noticed, I've noticed that the, at least in the F 16 in Misawa, you know, you'd be Mach 1.1, 1.2, and the nose would kind of just hunt a little bit. Like you'd notice the nose, like the rudder trim would just not keep up. I can only imagine if you have something like that at like 1.8 or 2.0. Oh man, that that's where I would be like, this is uncomfortable. You feel like you're just going to like rip off into, you know, just a cloud of an explosion. I mean, there are the stories of the guys who punch out at like, oh. yeah, what are 1.5 and then 30 surgeries later, like put back together again, somewhat. Yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Mach, true. Mach 10 ejects movies over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he was, he was at like 90,000 feet. So maybe he was, he was chill, you know, there's not much air. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no resistance up there. So it's fine. It's, I would always make this joke. Uh, I half believe it. Uh, that if you eject above 45,000 feet, that the rocket motor will just take, you'll just keep going. Like, yeah. like oh, well, <laughs> oh no, you know, think if you just, Become you know, astronaut. you're waiting for man seat separation and you just see the earth kind of keep going. This, this is, is not good. Like, this is bad. Swag, what's a weapons officer? Apparently, I look uh, rocks, which is an awesome username. Um, <laughs> <it's a little laughs> confused. You're not a pilot. <laughs> Uh, no, I am a pilot. Yep. A weapons officer is still a pilot. So, uh, essentially what a weapons officer is, is they go to the, uh, the weapons instructor instructor course out at, uh, Nellis Air Force Base. It's about a, uh, five to six month course. Uh, they do two times a year. And then, uh, uh each kind of, uh, uh, platform. So each plane or each like, um, what would you call it? Job, if you will. So we have like Intel weapons officers and stuff. And they've also got, uh, maintenance weapons officers and uh, all kind of different jobs if you will that you can go to the weapons weapons instructor course and essentially those are that is like the premier course if you will for the air force uh it's kind of similar if you will to top gun in a way uh for the navy um and so it's that five to six month course and then what you go out there and do is you try and be the best that you can at your platform and then at the very end after they uh, spend about three to four months just working on your platform, you, me flying the F-16 in this case, uh, then they bring all the different jobs together and all the other different platforms together. And then we fly for about a month together, kind of working in uh, hand in hand to take down like whatever the most current toughest mission is. And we'll all fly that out in the, the Nellis training range. And they've got a great range where they've got lots of emitters uh, and things that can replicate different, different uh, surface-to-air missile sites from different countries. Uh, so that allows us to train against them and also work together just as if we were going to do when we would like deploy during World War Three or Four or whatever it ends up being. So uh, that's my kind of quick quick rundown of it. It's 
fun course. Swag is like the smartest one. So that's uh, weapons officers at the pinnacle. Uh, and there's just no. the rest of us. I just made it through. I got lucky. Got lucky for sure. How was your experience uh, with your first weapons officer? Did you have a good experience or a, a bad experience? I sure did, man. I had a yeah, awesome experience. The uh, it was actually while I was out here, I was in the B course, and a guy named Ghost, a different Ghost, F sixteen Ghost. Uh, he was the weapons officer for the three tenth at the time, three uh, tenth fighter squadron. So uh, the weapons school it, like kind of goes by like three. Uh, three values, if you will, like humble, approachable, credible. And those are, ex- are exactly like what ghost was and like to the T, uh, and the approachability I thought was extremely huge, especially as a young guy who just came out of pilot training, you know, I could barely spell F 16 at that point. And I'm just trying to, uh, you know, learn as best as I can from him. And he's spending the extra hours. And then also just asking me about, you know, personal life and whatnot, uh, it didn't always have to revolve around flying. It's also like, how do you interact just on a day-to-day basis as a fighter pilot and as a human being, you know, and being a great bro uh, that, that he is. So that was kind of the impression that started out with the weapons officers. And then I definitely had multiple that I really enjoyed beyond that, that kind of continued my motivation to become one. Uh, and then there was definitely one or two though, that, that stick out on the other side of that, if you will. But that happens. Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, Bender and I were super lucky when we were when we were my B course patch was awesome, and then we got to Masawa, and uh, I think that kind of just like colors your perspective of patches. You know, I've met people who their first patches they just did not get along with, and then from then on they were like, "I'm not going to weapons school." Mm-hmm. And then Bender and I were both, you know, at least I'm a bum. Bender's not a bum. He just he chose to focus on family probably, but neither of us went uh, or attempted to go. And uh, but I mean, we both respected the heck out of patches because we had nothing but touchdown patches at Masawa and yeah, you guys did. Yeah. And it's, I mean, lethal dudes, like you go mm-hmm. out, there's just something about like in the fighter community, when you go out and you, whether it's dog fighting or you're doing, you know, defensive counter air, offensive counter air seed. And like you're, you have a good sortie and your patch just destroys and you're like, gosh, he is good. You know, you just respect him for it. So yeah, well, I I've always respected patches because they just see a fight that the rest of us don't get to experience at WIC, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 To this day, if Jake Doe Good were to call me back, Bender, I need you to re-enlist in the Air Force. You're coming with me to freaking Kunsan for two years. Like, say goodbye to your family. I'd be like, all right, here we go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. yeah, call me too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll send us send us the wives. We'll be yeah. super happy yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't watch this. She like her least favorite thing in the world is to hear me and my fighter pilot friends talk about flying. So yeah. no way yeah. she's tuning in. And it's like, you're going to do your girl gab. I'm like, yep. Sure am. <laughs> the, uh, my wife finally told me, she was like, I'm listening to an episode. Like it was, it was such a milestone event that she actually reached out and was like, I actually listened to you talk for an hour, which is, uh, which is a new thing. So that's good. That's rather impressive since she probably hears you talk all the time. I assume she fast forward through the majority of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Just confirmed. You sound Mark dumb. Has played. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I listened. Uh, <laughs> it counts. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Swag, what's like what's the best part of the B course? What you you probably have some like amazing B course stories of just like either shenanigans or just really rewarding seeing like students grow, yada yada yada. But I'm sure there's like some stuff that you're just like one, I'm surprised that kid's still alive. 
And then, or that was really inspiring. I feel, I feel like I've really done a great job. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. It does go in some, some wild, some wild waves. We've got, uh, what's crazy about it is how quick that some of them are already back instructing. Like I've already hit my like first two or three kids that they were graduating the B course when I showed up here as an instructor to teach them. And I flew one of their rides and I'll never forget it because it was like, I think the first night ride that I'm flying with a B course student, he's on my wing. We're doing this, uh, four ship, uh, uh, four V two. So we're, uh, going in to kill two red air and then also dropping our bombs, our simulated weapons at this point, it's at night. And we're just starting out. We're doing the admin phase right as we get into the airspace. And we kind of do this G warm up where we do like two 90 degree turns just to make sure like our G suit, uh, which is what we wear to kind of keep blood flow up in our uh, blood flow in the upper portion of our body. So that way we don't G lock. And uh, during the first G turn, I say in place 90 right. And then he turns left and he's on my right side. And as I look across, like we both cross like about 700 feet from each other. This is at the beginning of the sortie, and I'm like, oh boy, okay, like knock it off. We stop what we're doing. And uh, sure enough, like he bounces back from that, like has a pretty decent sortie, but he was obviously like, I could have sworn you said uh, 90 left. We would go back and obviously look at the tapes. I mean, mistakes happen like that. It obviously scared the crap out of me from there. And I, you know, you just have to like really every time it, it forced me to like stare at the guy, you know, regardless of what you say. You got to go out there and look at it um, just to make sure because they're getting task saturated and you don't want to be task saturated yourself as the instructor. So you've got to like find ways to make the scenario challenging enough for them. But you know enough of what's going on. So that way you're paying attention to them. But also you you want to challenge yourself at certain aspects, too, because you don't want to just do the same thing every single time. So there's it's just it's a, it's a unique balance of trying to instruct, uh, get yourself some reps, if you will. But obviously the focus is no longer on me anymore. It's, it's all on the other guy. So, um, that has been probably the most unique, uh, thing. And so now that kid is, he's already back here. He just finished his instructor upgrade a couple months ago. And so he's now on a lot out on the line and we've, you know, we've talked in the bar and he, right when he came back here, he's like, I'll never forget the story or, you know, I'll never forget the time of, when we almost collided together at night. <laughs> when you were his IP, did you turn into him just to see if he was looking? <laughs> <Got you back. laughs> That's that exact thing is why I do all Well, I used to do all my t- first turns away from the wingman. Like, yeah. nope, if you're on my yeah, right, exactly. I'm going There's no way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, it's and crazy. Start thinking about that. And that's usually where it happens is like the admin phase, like the stuff like, the McIntyre midair from a couple of years ago, like that was in the admin phase, benign stuff like tactical intercepts. So stuff that for those listening that we really don't even think about, it's just blocking and tackling sorties going out there running the radar. Mm-hmm. But that's where like, it's going to come and bite you. Cause you've been all the time doing the tactical talk and focusing on that. That you just like, whatever going to and from the airspace is putting your pants on to go to work. So I don't know. Yeah. Like we all know pyro, like that was an admin phase of flight, you know? So, yeah, that can bite you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well, interesting think, that oh. in the fifth gen, they, for a little while there, like a year ago, they were like, we don't need IFF anymore for the fifth gen guys because it doesn't apply tactically. And it, you know, it doesn't really apply that tactically, but it freaking applies 
to the admin like crazy because in the F-35, we don't fly that close together tactically, but going to and from the airspace, which is half the sortie, is done, you know, a mile away from each other. So we have like trying to get a four ship of F-35s back together with guys who haven't spent time like doing that stuff. It's, you know, that's the dangerous part of the sortie because there's <laughs> F-35s coming from everywhere and nobody knows who to look for. And so I think after, I mean, the fifth gen guys need IFF probably more than anybody else does just to like get that solid foundation of the admin and then they can go do their, you know, 10 mile formations or whatever. But uh, yeah, I can get, it definitely gets sporty like that. If, if people aren't used to like looking outside today, I flew out to the airspace in a block, which we don't normally do. So we had block 19 to 23. So I was a mile and then a thousand feet stacked. And it was like being back in the Viper was awesome. It feels <laughs> so good. It just feels right to like look down at your, <laughs> your like wingman's down there a mile away. Are you, the, are yeah. you now the old F4 like Vietnam driver who like wants his wingman just to like be welded to his wing? Yeah, but they're not. So <laughs> bring that fourth gen baggage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll be back at the rate that we go back to fourth gen tactics. The F 35s will be flying tactical formations in a couple of years. <laughs> oh, that's great. Hey, quick, because this is burying the feet. I think this is a good one. It's do you guys have any advice for a high school senior trying to get into ROTC, compete for a pilot slot? Swag, did you do ROTC or are you Academy guy? Yeah, I was an Academy guy. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm just going to remove you from this uh, right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you guys got any advice, Ader, Bender, Swag? Um, I mean, Bender, what do you got? And I'll go after you. Uh, I don't know. It's not, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say go for it. That's like the biggest advice. There's going to be a lot of obstacles people will put in your way. They'll be like, hey, you can't be a pilot if you have bad vision. You can't be a pilot if you have bad, well, I don't know. There's like a tons. In fact, even when I got into ROTC, the ROTC like admin staff was like, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. They didn't really know. They just had heard that. Um, turns out I could do all the things that they said I couldn't do. And then thankfully that led to a pilot slot for me. So the, my number one piece of advice would be like, do not take no for an answer from anybody in recruiting, from anybody in their OTC. Uh, there is a yes to everything pretty much. So if you, if you just kind of have that mindset, I mean, you got to do a lot of your own due diligence. So don't, don't suck. Um, but if you want to do it, it's, it's doable. So just make it happen. Yeah. I think the, uh, the air force officer, officer qualification test, I think it's AFOQT is a test that you're going to have to take. And, um, I mean, I was a terrible student and I did just fine on the test and, uh, it's just like general, I don't know. I think it's like high school level stuff. So, um, it's not, it's not crazy. Obviously you're going to go to college somewhere and, um, and, uh, take those tests and then spend the time in ROTC. If, if you want to get a engineering degree while you're in college, then do that. If you don't want to be an engineer, you don't have to, I was a geography major, um, just cause I just needed the degree. So you don't have to be an engineer. And, you know, some people will say like, oh, you need to be an aeronautical engineer to be a pilot. You don't have to. And if you can go be a history major and get a 4.0, that's probably better than being like a C minus student uh, as an engineer. Um, so that's what I would recommend. Swag, what do you think? Well, one thing I would say is uh, what I've kind of like slowly realized throughout the Air Force career is like having, uh, honestly, a mentor or somebody somebody that you feel confident that you can go in and talk to like once you get there. So I'm not sure about the trying to get into ROTC, but once you're in ROTC, if you can find that like senior or that uh, junior who's already got a pilot slot or is looking to get one um, and then pick their brain about like what specifically did they do in the unit to like 
kind of like build the path to get there. Uh, I, I find that like just learning about the process is like always super confusing. And there's, there's just so much data out there that sometimes that uh, just at least getting that knowledge out there early of like what you might need to start doing, start thinking about uh, will help kind of drive that success. If you got that mentor that's there to help you. Yeah, there, for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you have Vader? Oh, I was going to say uh swag kind of jogged my memory on in ROTC. They have four pilot slots. There's things are weighted differently. So your, your academics, uh, play a big part, your, uh, fitness scores. So you need to stay fit. I mean, if you're going to fly jets, especially fighters, like you should probably have your fitness squared away. Um, but if, you know, if you get a 90 plus a hundred on your fitness score, that, that goes a long way. If, uh, you'll go to field training, which is, uh, like a month of, uh, you know, think boot camp, but way easier probably. Um, and you're going to go to that. So if you can stratify yourself, uh, not only in ROTC, but at field training, um, it, none of all that stuff just helps. None of that stuff's going to hurt. So. Yeah. I think also like being well-rounded. So pick something, you, you know, pick a couple things you really like, but you know, you're being judged on being an officer first, a leader. You have to have, to have a good GPA, you know, but again, like I, I always thought like if you picked, if you were in our, so you assume you get into ROTC and then you did, you know, one or two extracurriculars inside ROTC because there's clubs and things like that. Maybe you pick one of those and you just do it really well. And over the years, you know, you become, you take on more leadership in that, inside that club, et cetera. But you got to be involved. You got to show up. And I think all those things from the GPA, being well-rounded, a good officer, good PT score. Once you're in ROTC, all those things are going to be scored together like the AFOQT. I should guess the pick some, it's a pick some score. That's like the combination of your GPA, Air Force officer qualifying test, PT test, whatever the video game test is. It used to be the bat test, like eye hand coordination. But I think like half of that score is subjective. And that's where your commander ranks you amongst everyone else. So if you're not a good dude or dudette, you won't get as many points. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, Rain, I saw it's uh it's on the one of one of the statements it's uh uh andre says uh i'm shepherd bound uh soonish um and then to the 38 do you see this one yeah i just saw that one yeah if you were building your dream sheet today knowing what you know now what is your top three there it is bam found it yeah that's uh that's a good one i'll go last because i brought it up (laughs) <laughs> you found it in the comments, although you didn't click it. I had to go find it and click it. So, oh yeah, I should have clicked that. That's how this works. We just click something and it brings them. Yeah, just like yeah. that. Techno- it's like a fifth gen uh, stuff. There's <laughs> too much responsibility. It doesn't work when I click it. So, yeah. oh, maybe no it's because I'm one of the producers. Yeah, yeah. yeah welcome. You need to get you need to get that level of clearance. Mm-hmm. It's touchscreen or a laser plane, as we discussed with Billy the yeah. last time. So, yeah. Mm. All right, swag, swag. Yeah, go swag. Man, I, I would say, I mean, for sure, the clear winner is going to be the F-16. Uh, that'll be that'll be number one for sure. It's got a long, I think it's got a, you're shepherd bound now for your timeline. Yeah, you could fly that for quite a while and it's, and it's getting a lot of upgrades. Uh, the mission sets are all awesome and incredible and it's got quite a few upgrades. Plus, it's just a really fun aircraft to fly and all three of these guys can definitely attest to that. Probably second. 
based on what I know now, I'd probably go F35. And then my last, I'd probably go F22, I think. I think. Single seat to keep them all together. Um, and then F35 over F22, multiple mission sets there. And from what I understand, the F-35s are pretty awesome aircraft to fly. And same with the Raptor. So, I mean, I, that'd probably be my top three. Can I spice this question up and be like, what would be your dead last? Ooh. Out of fighting? Are we thinking, Not oh, yeah. to keep our audience. Come on. Well, I mean, we are, we abandoned the Strike Eagles. They're out. We, we already like last week <laughs> destroyed them. Last so one, yeah. feel free to bash Strike Eagle community because they no longer listen. Last one. Okay. Give me one sec for that one. Is it like, answers, are we saying fighters? Strike Eagle, but yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is yeah, great. It's a great plane. I'm kidding. It is a great plane. We flew yeah. with them today. It was okay, boy, yeah. Yeah. You definitely want them there. First of all, they're not LO. They're just a giant RCS blooms. So something else is going to shoot at them first, which is great. <laughs> and then today, like <clears throat> I got the gun one uh at the end of a DC able, <laughs> which is the best. But as I was closing in, I like it's a big airplane. And then I just could see, I was close enough to see the backseater just turn and look and then call the brake. I'm like, oh, that's, that's awesome. I actually see this person like turning around to, I mean, they were too late. They broke way too late. So <laughs> uh, it was really fun. So anyways, I, there's a lot of, to appreciate about Strike. Plus I think their loadout was seven by one. Like we had, oh, missiles. they insane. shot like 13 missiles that got defeated and still took home like freaking <laughs> eight missiles at the end of the ball. I'm like, dang, that alone is, there's some cool stuff. Yeah. So Bender, what's your list? Uh, I don't know. It it would depend the day. If I knew the future, like if I knew, for instance, if I knew what I, how I could string my assignments together, I'd go Viper first, get an assignment in the Viper because it's awesome. And then probably go to the F-35 after that. If I wasn't sure I could get to the F-35, I'd I'd probably go F-35 first a Viper second and a Raptor third is how I would probably order that. I have, I think probably all of us have a little bit of Raptor MV. I don't want to do the mission sets. Like I don't want to be like pigeonholed into only like the air to air or the, whatever we call it, air dominance or whatever. Um, so the F-35 that. is the better That's... option for sure. But I wish I had two motors that could thrust vector and send me to the moon without any effort. Like that would be awesome. <laughs> That's tough. Why why do you pick the 35 over the Raptor? You think is it just because of the mission set? Yeah, I want to be yeah, seed is the best mission there is. Yeah. Like no doubt. That's true. So I want to do that mission forever. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't want to sound like cliche, but I think again, like the Viper, that's the only thing I've known. But then hearing all you guys talk about the F thirty five and kind of like the future, like seed is a lot of fun to do. Doing seed in the Viper was a lot of fun. So I imagine doing seed in the F thirty five would be a lot of fun. And then obviously flying the Raptor and just doing s- stupid maneuvers would be a lot of fun as well. And then I'll be a man and I'll answer it. The strike you would be my last choice. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think I want to be controversial here. The A-10 would be my last choice. Oh, oh there yeah. You go. It's, it's heavy. Like slow. It doesn't it slow. Yeah, I don't yeah. Yeah. slow. I don't want to be you know, like left out of the fight. That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like the F-16 and the... F fifteen. That's it. pretty much everyone. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. So. Bender, you're the only one there in the fight. We're all back. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> reservist. So I'm not even in the fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I was. I think I was totally settled on the Raptor initially because I just think the Raptor would be. I mean, 
handsome airplane. Like you can't say the Raptor is not a good looking jet. Um, and the Raptor, I mean, again, I'm an air dominance guy, so I appreciate that the Raptor is an air dominance platform, but I do like seed. I was, uh, doing OCA today. I was, I was missing being able to just be a, a seed guy to do the air to air and the seed, but, uh, so probably Raptor 35 Viper. Um, and I think growing up in the Viper was awesome. Cause I think as Bender said, growing up in a fourth gen platform that doesn't really have any sort of fusion, it makes you really understand all the information that's being provided to you because your brain is where all that information comes together in fifth gen and Bender can speak to this more than I can. Cause I've never flown it. Um, I understand that fifth gen fifth gen kind of just brings all that information and just kind of displays it to you. Uh, so you can, you don't have to really have that, that understanding or that situational awareness as aggressively as a fourth gen fighter. So I think growing up in fourth gen and moving to fifth gen is probably a really, really good idea. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Nice so swag. Here we swag. go. What's your swag. last, what last, last one? one? Yeah. What's your least favorite oh. swag? Oh, least favorite. I mean, I, yeah, it would, it would have to be the strike eagle. There we go. All I right. just don't want to. There's two of us. Doesn't work well with others. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. The, the giant caveat is that all Viper guys obviously are going to say that. So to the audience listening, some people yeah. like the strike eagle. Okay. I, don't know. I know a lot of great strike eagle dudes. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I've heard, true. I mean, Drago, Drago was on uh, one of our bro yeah. chats a while ago. Yeah. He said, like, when he was at WIC, which again, weapon like the WIC is a, is an anomaly because everybody there is highly capable, highly trained. And, and he was like, the strike Eagle was one of the most capable fighters on the planet when it's a weapons officer in the front seat and the back seat. And so you're like, yeah, like when they literally mind meld and go out there and you know, like I get it. I have seen more of the opposite Uh, (laughs) and it's neither the front seater or the back seater is like bad. It's just, they just weren't working well together and there's, there's more complexity to their planes, you know, or that plane compared to an F 16. Cause it, it's mech different. But when it shows up on station with like an hour and a half of gas and it's taken five minutes to read its loadout, you're like, well, they're going to wreck shop. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Hey, we, we got, 20, we got yeah, we got 20 minutes play time and we're out of here. <laughs> so strike you can wreck house. Uh, here's a little shout out to swag. So, Oh, nice. There we go. Hey. Crew yeah. Jet, yeah, Crew Jet for yeah, Swag a few times. I can tell he's that. a humble and BA pilot, which Good. I actually had uh, one of my maintainers from the demo team, Cam, he reached out and said, oh, yeah, I'm pretty oh. sure I uh, was stuffing a snowboard and a travel pod for Swag. Awesome dude. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was supposed to be a, our epic cross-country um, out to Buckley, and we got stuck in... What's it? McDowell, I think. McDonald. Or, or, or what's the Kansas City Garden? Yeah, yeah. The Topeka. Yeah. They're not Topeka, but the McDonald. What it is? I know. It's somewhere in the McConnell. middle of Kansas. McConnell. McConnell. That's right. Yep. Uh, Samsonite. That's way off. Yeah. We were going to Buckley, and then our stopaway point was McConnell. And we go wake up to go to continue on to Buckley the next morning. We're going to do this like epic low level, uh, you know, over the snow top mountains. And then hopefully ski while we were out there. And uh, I think it was Slapshot's jet might have been broken or something like that. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Ruined the weekend. We had to come Slash. back. And, yeah. That was such a bummer. 
little slappy. So we just hung out, and hung out in Kansas City or whatever it town was. I can't Wichita. No, Wichita maybe. Yeah, I think it was Wichita. Yeah, Wichita, yeah. Kansas. Kansas City would have been better, but yeah, it's kind of uh, like an epic ski weekend. <laughs> yeah. A lot of steep hills in Kansas. Yeah, yeah. 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 the Rockies would have been a little rockier. Yeah, John Denver's full of yeah. The uh, well, actually, swag. We've never got to fly together, but I know a guy uh, that I believe you've flown with, uh, Tron. He's out oh, there yeah, doing the Tron. TX, and yeah. uh, he and I go way back. He uh, Bender and I know him really well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he okay. he speaks very fondly of you. Like he's like, oh yeah, I, I had to. I had this question. I had to go talk to Swag. And uh, yeah, Tron's great, and I because he, he sure is, is he's a smart he's man. So, he's yeah, he is a, he's so smart man. It's so impressive, and it's like thank God he's like taking all his talent and at least like putting it in you know Viper Ops and whatnot. Because otherwise, like I just don't know. And in the Air Force, I think now that they're TX and I'm will take a little bit more advantage of like the Tron asset that the Air Force has right now without like losing him before potentially he like looks for other stuff. But like. Man, that dude is super smart and he's super motivated too, which is awesome. So he's done like some pretty incredible things at his short time at Luke already. And I'm, I'm stoked that he's starting the F-35 TX uh, like two weeks ago or something like that. So yeah, yeah. he's super excited. Yeah, he's a great which, guy. Yeah. And he's uh, he's offline provided me some feedback about the F-35. Bender, you never told me these things. So we're going to have to, we'll have to work this I'll, out later. I'll tell you Tron. anything. It's funny, yeah. Tron, for the first couple of days, he was texting me questions about the 35, and then when I couldn't answer, like, the 30th <laughs> question, it just stopped. Obviously, he's going to a different source. I'm like, that's a great question. I've never thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Well, and he's the guy. He's the guy who thinks deeply about things, and he'll mm-hmm. ask you, you know, he's like, what's the difference between, like, your lift vector and your plane of motion? You're like, dude, I don't oh, know. Yes, that. You know? And uh, But it's like, <laughs> Tron thinks about these things. The rest of us just fly the plane. Uh, I saw uh, I saw one of these here, Bender. This is uh, this one's for you. Um, the one twenty or the one ten. So which one? Which one is that? Is that a? I don't know. Yeah, the, most people. I've noticed a, a lot 40, of people. Right? Uh no, I think that's a two, the one twenty nine because it's the GE F one hundred is the oh. block forty motor, and then so for everybody out there. I know, I don't know if it's like a Jane's thing or if it's like, uh, like Lockheed, the way fighter pilots refer to the F-16 motors are the 129, the 100, the 220 and the 229. Uh, so when we get into like the F-100s and stuff, we have no idea which one it is because <laughs> we don't, we don't talk about them that way. Pull out the checklist and see what it says. Yeah. Like, I don't know what those first couple numbers mean yeah yeah so uh you gotta read the question because this will go out in audio format too oh, that's cool. true. oh yeah that's true okay so is the f-35 overpowered in a within visual range dogfight versus which one is this one versus uh, we'll just say the best let's say block 50 yeah, yeah f-16 129 so with equally skilled pilots and similar area loadout uh yeah i guess so i mean the the em diagrams right or better for the f-16 i think so the answer to that if it's just like say you had it in an ai whatever and it was just the perfect modeling of the aircraft capabilities then the f-16 would probably outmaneuver an f-35 in a dogfight but there's so much more that goes into a dogfight so um so no not not every time i think 
there are definitely F thirty five pilots out there that could wreck shop on some F sixteen pilots, and there are F sixteen pilots that could wreck shop on some of the best F thirty five pilots if they are operating the F sixteen, you know, to its full potential. But the key is that the F thirty five kills the F sixteen before the F sixteen gets into a WVR fight, and the F sixteen never even knows it's there. That's that's the idea. Yeah, if the F thirty five still has missiles. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's a separate topic. <laughs> yeah. Turns out, so today when we checked in, so it was a DCA fight. So it was four four strike eagles, four F thirty fives on the lane in the lane, and then my two F thirty fives were gonna join like fifteen minutes later, or whatever, in the bullpen. And so when we checked in, we like looked at the states of all the F thirty fives, and they all had all their missiles. So they had sixteen missiles, and then they commit on their first leaf, and they turn around, and they're all Remington. <laughs> first time this is freaking full. I'm like, what? What just happened? So, needless to say, by minute fifty into the one hour vol, it was gun only, like just four sheets to the wind. Like it was, it was fun, but we lost. The target got bombed. So, we need more missiles. Write your congressman. We need more missiles, and we have thirty-five. Sidekick. Yeah. Well, this Any is, uh, yeah, this is uh, Connor. Uh, curious as an, as an applicant to the 194th, uh, what's the community like in Fresno? Um, well, I don't really know, actually. I mean, the, the bros are there are awesome. You know, I think, uh, right now the, the active duty, uh, is hemorrhaging people and the guard still doesn't have enough people, you know? So the guard and reserve squadrons are still at a 40, 50% manning. Um, and sadly, I don't know what Connor's situation is. Um, but a, a, a pilot training hire, so an off the street, not qualified, uh, like I was coming from an F-16 to the F-15, that's a long road. I mean, you're talking, you're going to go through, just get into the military. If you're not already in the military, you're going to go through pilot training. You're going to go through IFF. You're going to go to the B course and you can expect multiple months of delay between each one of those courses. So it's like a three plus year timeline to bring someone off the street and to be a, not even a fully qualified fighter pilot, but even just back in the squadron, uh, the, the bros are awesome at Fresno. It, it's, it's great dudes there. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to being there. I think, uh, I think the tough part is they're all, all across the guard for the most part, uh, and reserves. The jets are old. There's not enough people. There's not enough maintainers. Uh, it's expensive in California to live. So that that's difficult for all people, uh, not to be the high maintenance, you know, pilot complaining about expensive things, but, um, overall it's just, it's tough to keep these jets flying and, and to do the taskings that are, are brought down. So the bros are always awesome in the fighter community. That's never a question. Um, but sometimes work is better or worse. Hopefully that answers the question. I have a random question because I did get an email and this came off another conversation. So we get interesting to get all your opinions. And I think this is really important stuff. It was popcorn. Someone bit off on the fact of the jalapeno popcorn, which is a staple in every single fighter squadron. Thanks. So do you guys, and this is like asking the wrong group, a bunch of now crusty old majors about making popcorn, but Vader, I feel like you're going to have to make popcorn here very oh, soon. Yeah. So like you have your recipe down, like what's your technique? Yep. So we'll get, we'll get in the weeds here. This is going to be a, a nine level corn making, uh, the, like demo, I guess it'll be a wingman demo, which are never good. Uh, but either <laughs> way, the, um, so it all depends on your hopper. So each corn machine has a slightly different sized hopper, but what you need to do, uh, is 
figure out the oil level of your hopper and how much corn you're going to inevitably put into this hopper. Because if you put too much oil to corn ratio, you're going to have oily corn and everybody's not going to be a fan. It's not going to pop completely. It's not going to be light and airy. So less oil is almost always better. So if you're like, ah, is that a little too much? You probably want to have a little too little, if that makes sense. So hopper starts, maybe you turn on the agitator, maybe you don't, depends on your corn machine. And then you pour the, uh, the oil in there and then you just let it heat up. I did hear a technique, which I want to know if you guys have tried this in the past. Uh, I was an Aviano guy who told me this. You take a, uh, one of the glass pints and then you fill the jalapenos in there and you microwave them. Now, you're probably thinking, why would you do this if you've never made jalapeno popcorn? We get our corn hot. And what you do is you take a little piece of jalapeno and you throw it into the oil. If it sizzles immediately, your oil is at the perfect or at the right temperature. Uh, then now you've strained all the extra uh, pickle pickling oil off the jalapenos. You microwave them for like 30 to 40 seconds. Now they're already relatively warm. You pour them in and you get the sizzle. This is where everybody is now going to start uh, like coughing from the vaporized, uh, the spice from the jalapeno. You need to make sure the agitator is moving around so you get an evenly cooked jalapeno. This is key because a tons of jalapeno is good, but soggy jalapeno in the corn is not good. Wait, so, wait, 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 wait. It depends. We'll get well, to the, okay. well, how we like the jalapeno. So don't go telling everybody... That's true. Yeah. If you know, if you like good corn, you don't like soggy jalapeno. <laughs> so now you start watching your jalapenos as they cook. You pour your corn, which is normally a red solo cup. So normally your oil is, I'd say, a quarter of a solo cup. You do at least a whole solo cup of corn, not the same solo cup, because then all of your oil and your uh, jalapeno and all that stuff is all going to get mixed. And then I am a non-Lowry slash salt on the corn prior to popping. That is highly contested. Yeah. So <laughs> I agree. this is just raw corn. And then once the edges of the jalapenos start to brown, the corn goes in. So you don't want them not to be browned yet. You don't want them to be overly cooked because then you're going to overcook your corn uh, or your jalapenos. And then the corn goes in. Then you close the top and then now... You let it go. Depending on where you are, if you're like in South Carolina, you got a lot of humidity in the air, you probably need to open all the doors to the popcorn machine uh, because you're going to get like soggy corn. It'll pop and then you'll dump it and then you need to do two batches each time. There's none of this one batch stuff because it goes way too fast. So I probably caused a lot of consternation for the rest of the people here. Tell me what I said wrong, guys. <laughs> Just a couple pro techniques. When the <laughs> agitator is stirring the jalapenos, you have to jalapenos will get stuck on the agitator and then you get charred jalapenos on one side and then the other side's yep. not cooked. So you don't want that. So you got to like put your little tool, whatever you're using and scrape the jalapenos, you know, every once in a while off the agitator back into the oil. So you have evenly cooked jalapenos. Mm. The best jalapeno is you'll have half of them will be like slightly like mm. yellow crispy. And then the other half are still like juicy, like just, Perfect jalapenos. That's what you're <laughs> that Anything past the yellow crisp is burnt. It's ridiculous. Throw the popcorn out. Start over. Andrew's <laughs> making is, his own batch of popcorn and then no one else eats it. Nobody eats yeah. Well, some people. You that want... actually came from my B Core Squadron Commander. Uh, gosh, what's his name? Not Vandal. Oh, get back to that. Uh, it was uh, Shantra Man. Dang it. Great, oh. great guy. 
Oh, man. dang it. Anyway. I yeah, I know you're talking about. He was, he was hilarious. But he would, you know, we'd get punished for any charred jalapenos. And so we made them super raw. And it turns out that is the best way to eat the jalapenos. You want it? It's like a crisp chip where it's like you crunch yeah, and it doesn't just like vaporize to where you're like, <laughs> oh gosh. But it's just like a crunch, like you're eating like a ruffle in there, but it's nice and spicy. Swag, what do you think? Dude, I 100% agree with you uh, there, Vader. And the the one pro tip as well, just so that way you don't start any fires, because I've uh, almost done this, is once you uh, put the jalapenos in there and then you walk away for about, you know, five minutes to just like go do that one thing. And then you completely forget that you were making popcorn and you start doing two or three other things. And then, Hey, you see rain down the hallway and you're like, Hey, let me chat with rain for a few minutes. And then that's when somebody, the top three or something like that, or the SARM, uh, recognizes that like, wait, somebody watching the popcorn machine. Uh, Class. We've all been there. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Then you start over though. You start start over at that point. Reset. Mm -hmm. When, when, Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What do you got Vader? Oh, I was just going to say when Bender and I were in Misawa, uh, we had five forty-five morning briefs for our first go in Misawa. And I show up at five fifteen, and the vice wing commander is flying. Awesome guy. Awesome. Like he was actually a really cool dude, but he walks into the bar at like five twenty, and he's like, Oh, like, uh, we were new jacks in the squadron. And he's like, new Jack, no corn. And I was like, it's, 5 20 a.m sir <laughs> like, you might want to you might want to like get something checked out you probably got an ulcer or something yeah. <laughs> it's not it, like it the healthiest uh diet yeah. but it's, in a pinch it's really good which is like usually 5 15 in the morning or you know like 2 a.m after a debrief or going into a debrief mm-hmm. forget your lunch that day yeah, yeah. like classic you get I'm addicted seeing- so even even if it's three day old corn you know you're just like this is disgusting, <laughs> but you're just like, here we go. Gotta eat it. So, so ashamed right now, but it's so good. Vinny, <laughs> well, you bring up a good point though. You got to watch that. Cause I'm, you remember like all those jalapenos, they bunch up around the agitator and that can be mm-hmm. no good. You're going to get uneven cooked jalapenos. Although I guess into like that. So once some people are a non agitator cause they don't like it because the agitator will break up the jalapenos. So some people will go, if you have a nice jalapeno maker, you have a bottom heater, you have the heat, and then you have the agitator. That's like the the nine level popcorn maker. But some people don't like the agitator being on because it'll break up, break them up. And you just use like a little fork or something to keep them mixing. Mm-hmm. And then the really good lieutenants will add bacon to the jalapeno mm-hmm. popcorn. I, I've tried it. I can, I never mastered that, but uh, that is the fighter squadron makes, we call it infidel corn. And you yeah. got to visit. It's it's awesome. So the balance there with getting the right amount of oil and everything. There's a lot of variables that go into this. Yeah, that is not easy to do. The Holloman had uh, one guy. He went out to uh, Masawa. Good dude. Uh, he uh, he would every Friday. It was like a meal. He would cook bacon in there, and he would cook those frozen little <laughs> hot dog, those corn dog minis. And uh, so, I mean, it was delicious i wouldn't even bring lunch because i would just do like a couple <laughs> of scoops of that and i was like here we go yeah it was it was wonderful yeah we had we had nacho remember nacho thursdays in the salad uh i remember getting the in trouble had to, the, yeah you didn't cook it probably yeah but the well, punks always made this giant batch of nachos with the uh, meat rotel and cheese anyway yeah. i never brought my lunch on thursdays it was just nachos all day long 
Yeah, that was Which, good. Yeah, they get pretty nasty after like seven hours in a slow cooker. But. <laughs> yeah, one of our uh, one of the IPs, Crack Holmes, really uh, great dude. He's uh, he's one of those fun, angry guys, and he uh, uh, he was like, make the make the whatever the cheese. And so I can't, he's like, there's like a plastic bag that you'll put in that'll keep it, you know, so it doesn't get messy. And I couldn't find it. So I just used a trash bag. And he was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. It's probably fine. It's, it's a low heat. <laughs> crack. You guys, have you guys ever met Crack Holmes? Was he, did he do an exchange? He didn't do an exchange tour to Jordan, did he? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause he was there, I guess while you guys were there. Yep. And then he's, you know, we had the overlap because he was like flying with the Jordanians. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping GBU 12s, like riding in their backseat in Iraq. I'm like, yeah. Seriously. That's, that's spicy. Yeah. Enjoy that. I'm sure. Yeah. I got, we got to get some of his stories. Those are, those are funny. The, one of the only, I, I over G bombs twice in my F 16 career. And once was with crack in Jordan. And he, there's just something about, he just knows how to push the right buttons that just make you lose your mind. But, so we were just like doing the, I don't know what we were doing. It wasn't even a tactical phase of flight, but he had already made me so mad by like our GX. He's like, hook left. I'm like, I'll show you a freaking hook left. And I like, over G'd in the freaking admin hook turn. He's like, you piece of crap. And I went home and he yelled at me and it was great. But crack, I mean, crack, I don't know. We need people like crack. Like they are the ones that hold the line, you know, like the standard yeah. has to be, you know, you have to be good enough for crack to, to be cool with you. Otherwise you get out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I flew a ton of our first combat deployment with crack and we would just say movie quotes back to one another. It was, uh, from bad boys Two, uh, the part where Martin Lawrence, it's like, would the rats eat the rest of them? When, uh, when Will Smith is like, I found a finger and, uh, because they're at that, like, uh, whatever that drug Lord's house or whatever. And, uh, he would just yell that over the like secure frequency to me. I was like, yeah, so that's all he would say back and forth. Uh, hey, uh, I just saw one. Uh, is this it? Yeah. Do you guys know? So, uh, who decided jalapeno and pop popcorn should go together? Does anybody know? I don't. But they're a genius. I do not. Yeah, they are, yeah, they are a genius. Like, again, it, yeah, it had to be Robin Olds yeah. sitting there in the bar one day. Yeah, but I mean, it spread like wildfire. I wonder how whoever started it, like, how fast did that move through the fire force? Did it take a decade? Did it take one red flag? What would it be? Where did it start? It's a great question. It's a mystery. I, I, uh, I have been in squadrons. Uh, I think this happened in Misawa. I don't even remember where lieutenants would not make jalapeno popcorn every time. Like they'd make, they'd be like, oh, first batch of the day, you know, just make regular popcorn. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> like this corn machine makes one type of corn. Like that's all it does. If it doesn't have jalapenos, it doesn't go in the corn machine. But yeah, you're gonna me. pay to rent it if you're not gonna put jalapenos in there. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the like, one, the, the remember the popcorn machine at Columbus Bender? Like it was in the BX. It was huge. Like, I mean, massive. Like they bought it, they never used it. And that's what we were trying to get. It had to be like a four thousand dollar popcorn machine. It was like something you yeah. get in the movies. But I was like, could you imagine we had that Ooh. in squadron? I mean, we've completely destroyed it in a matter of like three days. Yeah. Like you unusable for anything else. Let's do a Patreon drive right now. Donate to Rain's Patreon and we will buy a four thousand dollar popcorn for the snakes up at Hill and we'll see what we can do with that. Yeah. Could you yeah. imagine the best part of like when you make that and there's the uninitiated that walks into the squad like, oh, popcorn, and they like take a bite <laughs> and it's just like, what is this? 
coughing, like throwing up. And you're like, you'll be, you'll be okay. I like that every corn machine is it's seasoned. We'll call it seasoned. Yeah. Like it is just just gummed up and everything. Like the lever stopped working because there's so much just oil residue. And you're like, that's that's how it's meant to be. Like the yeah. corn machine is not meant. It's like a a nice like uh, cast iron skillet. You know, yeah. like you need it to season. It's not going to pass a health inspection, I don't think. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the oil, the heat, that's what kills everything. It's that's fine. right. It's literally all fried. Yeah. Oh, oh man. There's a couple other ones in here for, uh, let's see, advice on getting into the Air National Guard. I think that's a good one. The fair, that's a softball one. Yeah, The uh, somebody posted in the uh, the chat, one one thing I heard about, which one of my buddies actually, uh, he used to work there. I don't know if he's still there, um, but Bogey Dope, um, B-O-G-I. Yeah, What's that? Bogey I said they sponsor this podcast. So yeah, so. Nailed it. Yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll take my uh, royalties. But the, yeah. uh, so the, uh, but yeah, Bogey Dope apparently helps a lot of people just kind of understand the process. Um, I've heard some guard units not bagging on Bogey Dope by any means. Uh, but sometimes dudes get a little robotic with it because bogey dope gives you a very good script to follow um, and just kind of what to expect, but just be yourself. Um, the guard, unlike the active duty, they're hiring, they're like hiring a bro. They're hiring a person to be a part of the family. So don't, so just hopefully you're, you are a good dude, uh, but also be a good dude. And, uh, and that'll probably work out better than having, you know, stories. And as everyone listening to this knows, fighter pilots love talking about themselves. So just ask them questions and then they'll just tell stories and they'll be like, you know, who was a great guy, that guy who just kept asking me about me. And yeah, uh, go right. just fine. <laughs> I do have, I do have it linked down below for bogey dope if they're on YouTube, but I think I, that's a really great resource to start and support. Like, I mean, going to the airlines, I paid to go through a training program to kind of cage it. But like they tell you, you still have to be yourself and not be a robot, but, I think having someone like that, like kind of help you through the process. Like, I don't know how to do a resume for a guard unit or like, how, yeah, how do you rush? Like those type things. That's what it's good for. Or you just need to go like ask a bunch of fighter pilots, talk about themselves. And then one of them will like usher you in. So it takes a little bit of work. Yeah. Here's and the- if you're, if you're a good dude, it'll probably work out. Cause after I got hired, uh, at, in the guard, my buddy was like, yeah, you had like a two year gap in your resume. Like we were going to ask you, but we didn't care. I like, <laughs> worked out. I wonder how many, my, my guess is that, well, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know how many hires off the street, at least are prior enlisted in a guard or reserve unit. My guess is most of them are. So if you're yeah. young, mm-hmm. that's probably your best, honestly, your highest probability of getting hired into a unit that you're interested in is like showing them that you're willing to put in the work by enlisting, which sounds terrifying, but it's, it's not like the guard reserve have awesome opportunities to be a part-time enlisted person and support the unit. They get to know you. They'll know you're a bro, you know, hopefully if you are bro before they hire you. And anyway, that's, that's probably the highest PK. So definitely give that a look, but bogey dope probably has good advice on that stuff too. Yeah. I think if you like in, cause now I think like guys who enlisted did college while they're enlisted, like in the guard and then got hired, you know, they already got like their four years of time and granted it might, it wasn't full time, but there's a lot of ways to crack that nut, but being in the unit and like, that's what it comes. I think what it comes down to not having ever been hired by a guard unit, you know, from the street, but 
they're hiring you for the next 20 years. So like maybe you can build an F-16, but you're a complete douche and no one wants to be around you. Like you're probably not going to get hired. I don't think maybe, yeah. I don't know, but I think ultimately you probably gotta be a good dude and be able to obviously do, do everything, which is checking all the boxes of AFOQTE and GPA, yada, yada, yada. Swag, what do you think the best first base for a Viper Punk would be? Uh, man, the one you're at for sure uh, is honestly <laughs> like there. There's really no bad ones. I I think they all have their pros in different different ways. My first base was Kunsan out of the B course, and man, what a fantastic place to be a punk in a fighter squadron. When you talk about all the stuff, but like getting into the level of detail that Vader just did on the popcorn. Like that's what you had. That's what we had to do like on a daily basis. And so that was awesome. Plus everybody's there on a remote tour. So most of the, most of the people don't bring their families out. So what's awesome about it as a young uh, Viper punk is your instructors are literally in the building next door and they're playing video games or doing whatever, you know, just messing around. So like you can easily go over and chat with them about the next flight chat with them about like future opportunities and stuff like that, whatever you want to do and just get out of that mentorship early. So that is an awesome thing. Uh, it's like one of the place, one of the last places in my opinion that like is where fighter pilots, like the culture, like the culture that we all think of a fighter pilot is, uh, is there. And so uh, Kunsan is a awesome place for that. That was my place. Man, you got great places though. Aviano, uh, which is out in Italy, a uh, great place. They do a lot of mission, uh, do a lot of deployments and stuff like that. So if you want that opportunity early, um, Spangdalem, Germany, uh, just a great place to be in Europe. They also do the seed mission, Masawa, uh, which I know Vader and uh, Bender can talk to. Great skiing. You're doing the seed mission um, and awesome community uh, from what it sounds like. And then Shaw, uh, Rain, Rain and I have both spent a decent amount of time there as well as Bender. So uh, all, all great spots. There's really no bad ones. And some of them are, are starting to do that, uh, TFI. I can't remember what it sounds like, but essentially you'll go and be a part of a guard unit as an active duty personnel. So yeah, no good, no bad ones. Yeah. And I did, I did the TFI and, uh, as my second assignment after Masawa, but a lot of people will do their first assignment there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot going for the guard. I'd say as a young person, like a first assignment person at the guard. Um, it's just tough because when you're in Misawa, you're at Shaw, you're in Korea, everybody's hungry. Everybody's learning the plane. Everybody's new. It's very, you know, new to them, but Bender and I can attest, like when you go to the guard, most people already know the plane. Most people, a lot of people are part-timers. So you don't, you don't have as much of a like group of people hanging out in the vault, trying to study, um, because just different focus at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. For sure. That's what I've heard kind of from some other guys. Boom. Yeah. Here's another quick one. Any tips for people wanting to go to 38s and try to become an aggressor or compete for an exchange program with the Navy with the Growlers? Well, one, if you go to the Navy, you're going to be landing on boats. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but does a growler I'm, land on the boat? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah they've got they've got yeah, they, some, they've got some uh, yeah some land based squadron and and then a decent amount of I think the majority of them are boat based squadrons though or 
But I thought, the, but the Growler specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The E18G? Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I think the I ones that they... go out to Misawa are land-based, though. They're land-based squadrons. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah, they all did, but who knows? I would say, like, my take on this, this is a pretty weird career path. Because, all right, you go 38s and you're going to go to a fighter. And then, then go into an aggressor or, I guess, compete for exchange program. So, you go to T-38s, you're going to go to a fighter, do one assignment in a fighter squadron, maybe two assignments in the fighter squadron, and then go be an aggressor. Would be kind of a normal career path. Slash, at that break point, maybe, you know, one or two assignments in your first fighter then applying for these exchanges. So I don't know, it used to be like a portal opened up or they'll pop up with a message like, you know, a growler exchange with the Navy or go fly, you know, with the Australians and you apply for it and it goes up. And again, I think it always be like right place, right time, right qualifications to go out there and do that. But the 38th would just be a stepping stone. So I might be reading that in incorrectly. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Does Morgan, do you know that the Growler is a two-seater? There are two people in that airplane. I just want to make sure you're tracking or you make any decisions you can't take back. <laughs> you don't get your radar. They get it in the back. And it's a sweet radar. I did get a yeah. backseat ride. Yeah. I, it, was, it was freaking awesome. And the display was awesome. Yeah. you, you learn, Well, first you got to get to the 38. Once you get to the 38, then... You're going to learn so much about what you want to do. Like Rain wanted to be an A-10 pilot back in the day. I wanted to be, I'm not even going to admit what I wanted to be back in the day, but I had an uncle who flew B-1. So he was like, the B-1 is oh, awesome. And it is. Oh. Yeah. And he was like, you want to have a crew. You want to like work together as a team. Like <laughs> uncle's awesome. Super smart guy, but he missed the boat on that one. For sure. <laughs> uh, so you, you kind of learn as you go. But after a couple, <laughs> it didn't take long teaching people in UPT to realize that I, any ride with anybody in the airplane with me was undesirable. Like, get out. When fighters still operate as a team, you just all have your yeah. own airplane. Yeah. Like, it's not like any yeah. of us go yeah, sure. and we're like, "Yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm I'm going to go to combat by myself." Like, no, like there's two or four of us together. I actually got yelled at in 38s uh, because I put like fighters, fape, and then I went like lifestyle. I went like. C-17s and I did that stuff. And then one of the guys was a B-1 dude and he was like, you need to rethink your priorities. And I was like, yes, sir. List didn't change. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Pick one more here, maybe one or two more, unless you guys got something else. Why this is this probably a little bit uh, more of a breakdown in this question, but why is the Air Force not invested into an offensive tactical jamming platform fighter, parentheses, the way the Navy has with the Growler? Is it because the F 35 EW is that good? Mm. Mm. All right. Well, Bender, I'll protect you. You can, you can weigh in after I hop in here. The, uh, I think the Air Force has bought things and they just don't seem to work. Because remember, the Growler is not new. The Growler is a new plane carrying old pods, which were on the Prowler, the uh, the family model, the weird. I don't I don't even know what it's supposed to look like. It's got windows. It's got windows like a helicopter, but it's a it's a jet. And yeah. uh, but they just took the pods off that, threw them on the EA 18G. Uh, so that's not even a new jammer. Um, the the DoD has really just not done a great job of onboarding like new jamming platforms. Um, 
And then there, you have to think about jamming in like multiple things. Like, is it self-protect or are you protecting other people with your jamming? So there's, there's a lot of considerations. Swag, you got any, anything to add to that? You probably know the deep, dark secrets of it all. Oh man. Not sure. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why the Air Force ha- hasn't. I think, and I know we work a lot with the, with the growler though, a bunch of times, like every time we went to a red flag out at Nellis and uh, so that some of these like large training exercise uh, where it's mostly air force guys, like the one Navy unit that comes and shows up is a growler unit. And they're usually one of those land-based ones. And I know, you know, you guys at Masawa would fly with the growlers quite a bit up there and they've, they've integrated with some of the air force assets quite a bit. So I kind of think we almost like in a way like use the, you know, use the Navy's growlers, if you will, and like decide not to, buy buy more of our own uh but probably because we never had some to start with that we've kind of gone away from it although i guess like some of the older f-10 can't remember which one f-111s probably was uh capes for the f-16 so you know asa radar i think it was al-213 jamming pod it's supposed to be all integrative so you know it would offensive or defensively jam appropriately so you wouldn't like lose your radar like everyone's used to like one one thirty one pod or one eighty four pod, but didn't like capes got killed by McCain, but I thought like m eight was gonna now be like a whole rewire of the jet and then integrate that so you could offensively jam or defensively jam seamlessly. I don't know that that does sound correct and and I think the biggest thing is what will actually end up getting funded for the f sixteens new ew system i don't think anything's like completely funded from what i last checked um it kind of changes daily though so i haven't i don't know what the most current data is for what our next set will be like yeah but one thing yeah yeah there's one thing certain the check is in the mail (laughs) yeah count on that we need more money (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's ultimately if we had more money we we'd probably buy one as well did you see the uh, first block 70s came off the line in south carolina yeah. This, oh, yeah. this past week, which is pretty full up. I mean, those things, I don't know what they have, but my guess is they, well, I'm pretty sure they have integrated EW suites and stuff. So part of that, somebody asked a question about coalition fighters too, but when we go to war, we go obviously with the Navy and the Marines, but we also go with coalition partners. So if we can avoid, or not avoid, but if we don't have to buy every airplane that there is, you know, if we can just combine fight with, you know, the broad spectrum of the capabilities that different air forces have, then you know, that's good for us. I wish the Air Force, I hope the Air Force buys Block 70s. Like, I want them to. Um, but I don't want them to buy growlers. Like, we don't need any more two-seat. They're phasing out the backseaters. Uh, we don't need to bring that back. Except um, for the EX. Yeah, that's true. You're going to have a Wizzo, Vader. And the nope. day that happens, you're off the bro chat. <laughs> no, well, they're... So, Swags I, I talked to people in the know, and they have assured me that currently, yeah. this is this is from, like, I don't know, ACC, Pentagon, I don't know, say someone who sounds important. And uh, they said that it is currently being purchased for a form fit function replacement for the F-15C. So they're like, this is not a, hey, we have a ton more strike eagles. Um, like it, right now, it's like, just find something that can fill the the gap that the C model is leaving. And then they're like, hey, maybe in, in five, 10 years, we'll figure out how we're going to put backseaters in this when the the F-15E goes away, um, you know, in 20 or some years. So right now they are, they have no intention of putting people in the backseat. 
they are also closing. opening up the F-22 line, I heard. So count on that. <laughs> yeah. oh, same okay. person. The same person. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to yeah. buy the extra. We're going to buy the other 600 remaining Raptors. So. All right. All you need is a little cell phone holder in the back seat. You just put your cell phone in there. You bring up chat GPT. And you're like, <laughs> hey, back seat. What should I do now? And it's like, do, do, break right. And you get the effect that you need from a wizard. Like, it's all good. Yeah. Chat GPT. AI, it's the future. This is everything we're doing. That's how it is. I think AI could do this chat without us. They would just, they could play all of our roles. It would be more accurate for sure. (laughs) Like this, what is the fact checking thing? The, uh, is it Facebook Mm -hmm. now that does like fact checking? Like this has false, da 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 da, our missing contacts. Yeah. We're just going to hit with that all the time. (laughs) That should be the name of the podcast, Missing Context. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh it's so good so yeah. true well bender you mentioned this one uh have you guys ever met coalition slash nato fighter pilots if so who were the most experienced slash skilled i think we all know well who is it i mean go ahead go ahead and say it bader yeah, well bender it. you've got the floor you know i'll let you but well, i haven't spent a whole lot of time in nato so i don't as far as nato goes i don't i mean i think we i think the israelis are probably the best the non-us fighters I don't know if that's true or not, but if I'm going to war, because I've never flown with them, if I'm going to war, I want the Australians because they have cool accents and they have wedge tail. And I don't care what their fighters fly like. It doesn't matter. If they got wedge tail, then you're invited way better. Yeah, exactly. Like bring who you want. So bring the Australians. That's what I say. Yeah. It's pretty full up. What? Do you guys ever have the the French AWACS in theater? Did you ever experience that joy? No. Mm. That was a true treat of like them always being midnight or just complete calm jam vomit on the radio all the time. You're like, oh my God. So excruciating. Like, I just need to find my tanker. Like, it's moved. I don't know where it is. Can you just tell me? Just give me a heading. I'll just take a heading and I'll I'll find it on the radar. Like, no. <laughs> but can you imagine the coffee, the quality of the coffee in oh, the back of that airplane? Uh, That's why they're not at the scope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's coffee. Uh, baguettes and coffee it's so good <laughs> pastries and whatnot it's probably good so, food so well, nice. I, think, I think the i i never worked with uh, been in a squadron with the dutch but i know dutch exchange was at shaw and uh, i've heard the dutch were pretty solid the brits sound like they've they're pretty good and and yeah the aussies remember the magpies we flew with them out in uh, guam a few times yeah yeah yeah, they're pretty pretty sweet. Cool. Yeah, the Pacific Coalition is a lot of fun. There's a lot of different yeah. capabilities. Flying with yeah. Japanese F-15s is a riot. Not because it's super effective, but it's really funny to watch. It's a good time. <laughs> oh, man. What about the the F-2s that flew yeah, 250 knots home and uh, almost ran everybody out of gas because we all got vectored behind them? Behind the that train. Was, that was a dangerous game. Yeah. yeah. Swag, what do you think? Who's the best? You've probably seen uh, a bunch of them there. Yeah, Man, I would say it's probably we, the Australians are really good for sure. Um, I've got to work with the Canadians a little bit too. Those guys are just like they're fun, they're bros as well, which I think helps add to good making a good fighter pilot is being a good bro. Uh, they can also grow out their beard, which is cool. And yeah. then if they're on like thirty days of leave or something like that, they can start smoking marijuana, I guess, during the time. So they all come back like super relaxed and whatnot, you know, when they're coming up. And they just love to like be hanging out in the U S for a little bit too. So it's always fun having those guys. Super chill. Yeah. 
the uh, vendor and I were uh, having a roll call in um, Alaska. So we we're at Red Flag Alaska as the Canadians were there and um, we're having a roll call and there's just a couple of Canadian dudes sitting in the bar. So they're like, we're just going to stay. And we're like, okay. So we were uh, Drago a guy that was on the Kodiak shack a while ago on one of the bro chats. Um, he told me the story after. So I'm like running the roll call and their squadron commander's like, Hey, we want you to name one of our guys. And I was like, okay, I don't care. And he's like, uh, name him better. Do you know what they, they wanted me to name him? I don't remember. It was, oh. it was something like the name of the guy from planet of the apes. And it was like, it was uh, dumb, right? Yeah. It was like, I don't remember, but it was from a movie. It was like something that was very apparent to them. And I was like, okay, like, boom. Your name this. And one of the dudes was not a fan that I named a guy in their squadron. And he was standing behind me about to hit me. And Drago was like, yeah, I saw him. He looked like he was going to hit you. And I was like, why didn't you do something about it? And he was like, well, I was going to wait till he hit you. And then I was going to knock him out. I was like, that's the wrong order. That is the wrong order of things. So luckily, yeah, luckily yeah. nothing happened. Uh, we de-escalated. We, and then, then uh, played four or five what? And I don't remember any of it. It was oh, yeah. I remember that being a good roll call. It was a, yeah, it was I solid. remember that. Made a lot of money. Oh yeah, Vader was Vader was a good mayor. He he introduced. Yeah, I don't know. Were you the inventor of the shack sack, or did you get that from someone? Just so I stole that from Blitz Blitz Norman, which you guys probably know oh, yeah. uh, from around. And uh, when he did it, he was in the 79th. So I apologize, everybody, because I don't think any of you were in the 79th. But the uh, yeah, so he was in the 79th. He called them Lucky Dips. And uh, I was like, I can't call him that. So, uh, so Shaq, obviously, because our whole squadron and the podcast name and everything. So we came up with the Shaq sack, which I use my helmet bag for like flying. And then I realized that that was probably a terrible idea because I would still use that after roll calls. And I was like, what if I like, you know, something happens and they're like, this guy had like seven airline bottles of alcohol in his helmet bag, (laughs) you know? So that could have gone poorly. Luckily it didn't. Uh, but yeah, we would do, instead of taking shots because we couldn't get any Jeremiah weed, uh, I would just have a helmet bag full of airline size bottles. Uh, and you would just like reach in and you could get like Bailey's, you could get Bacardi 151. The world was your oyster and it was wonderful. And everyone loved it. <laughs> true. Everyone did love it. Yeah. And everybody oh. chant and they'd like scream, like, hit the shack sack. It was so much fun. Yeah. I probably shouldn't talk about this. Yeah. No one else listens to this, so it's fine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a safe drink, space. Drink responsibly. That's all. That's right. I have a BYU sweatshirt on. I'm talking about alcohol here. So. Yeah, I got. There's a Go Cougars in here. Are the BYU the Cougars? Yep. Oh, there's okay. the Go Cougars. People are watching you, Bender. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I've never hit the shack sack. I've never. <laughs> I've enjoyed watching other people hit the shack sack. I should have. I should have had non-A options. Like I yeah. should have. Most had the time when it's non-A, I've had shots of Tabasco sauce, which is terrible. And then I had shots of half maple syrup, half Tabasco sauce, which is even worse than just a straight shot of Tabasco <laughs> sauce. So like whenever, whenever anybody is like, Hey, like we got nannies ready for you. Like I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not participating. It's, it's always worse than the alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. I'll throw out Nelson and Fox. Cause you know, just an off chance to listen. Cause they were our Dutch exchange dudes. They were solid oh, yeah, dudes. Fox, yeah. So. yeah. Fox uh, was full up. Yeah. Yeah, those guys knew what they were doing. Uh, did you did you click that? You yeah, click I, that one I that? clicked it. Sorry. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I saw that one too because I was like, that was teed up. I thought that'd be perfect. I think Swag's going to go turn on a light. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we we are getting a little long in the tooth. The uh, yeah, we 
Uh, Probably could wrap it up here. This be I like yeah. I want to ask when he gets back. Like, how terrifying is it landing from the backseat of the Viper? Like to me, that'd be absolutely terrifying. You just don't do it. You just love yeah. it. That's what you do. If Swag yeah. actually lands in the backseat to rehack his rear cockpit landing cur- currency, I'll be amazed. You're the only one. Uh, you heard that Air Force? <laughs> <laughs> They're just logging it. Yeah. How terrifying is it landing in the backseat, Swag? And then someone wants to know any advice for someone who can't air to air fuel. Oh man, um, go to a KC forty six. It's a lot easier. I, I tanked on that for the first time like a week or two ago. Man, that's so. It was actually pretty nice. Um, sorry, two questions there. Yeah, you said uh, landing from the backseat, dude. Yeah, that's scary. I'm not very good at it at all. I always tell them to like add a little bit more power because I just hate that like sinking feeling. Um, like just because I I'm not in control, you know. So it's like I don't know what's about to happen and. I'm not good enough to land from the back seat, so that's why you just go to a jet that you don't have two seats. Makes it <laughs> easy. Makes answer. life way easier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but for someone who can't refuel, man, um, the one thing that I feel like, you know, I feel like it's always kind of stressful, especially as a young, uh, a young, you know, uh, pilot when you're first going to the tanker, like you're always just super nervous. Well, not somebody always like tried to remind me of like wiggling my fingers and my toes, if you will, you know, and then every correction that you make, you know, just try and make it like very small and very small corrections and then wait, like it might take a set for the jet to like respond for the correction that you like started to try and go. So that way you're not trying to fix too much all at once, if you will. So uh, those small corrections, I feel like will help make you or help keep a little bit more stable of a platform. Um, and then wiggle on the toes will just help you remind you as you're thinking about that, that you're like, Hey, I'm not getting gas like at 400 knots or whatever I'm flying at right now at 20,000 feet. Like it's already insane. The fact that we can do that, but uh, uh, hopefully that'll allow you to relax a little bit, make those smaller corrections. So that way um, hopefully it goes a little bit smoother, but I won't lie, man, it took, it took a deployment to feel extra comfortable at tanking. So it takes quite a while. I would say maybe 20 ish to 30 ish times, assuming that you're starting to go like more frequently by that 20th time, you know, if you only do it once every six months, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be kind of a nightmare every time. I don't know. What's your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I think that's it's probably a deployment that you, you really get comfortable because you're tanking four four times a night or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like the death grip on the stick, so to speak, you like that's gonna that's gonna get you like light hand on the throttle, light hand on the stick, so to speak, and just aim small, miss small. But it's <laughs> like when you're white knuckle in the stick, like it's just not gonna work out well. Yeah, it's like a wing work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've yes. I've had my share of. uh my terrible tanking experiences. Now it's chill though. Two deployments, no problem. I mean, first tank in the C model, I was like, oh yeah, I just I just go slightly right of where I used to go. And then I don't know if you guys look at it, but I kind of just look at like the entire tanker now. You know, you just like feel the tanker moving aft and you're like, oh, I'm going forward or the tanker's moving away. Where when I was young, yeah, I'd look at like, I'd just like focus on the lights. I wouldn't even see the tanker. I'd just see like lights you know, and, and it just makes it more difficult. You think the lights are helping you, but really if you just keep that like bigger picture perspective and you're like, I see this massive airplane and it's not moving. 
I'm probably doing an all right job, you know? You guys know how the, for any boom operators listening, how the boom operators are like up four, like back four. Do you think they know that we have zero idea like what four feet looks like? Like, There's no, I am making zero inputs when you tell me like back four, (laughs) up four. Four's pretty good actually. Like, you're like up 25. Then like, oh, 25. Like that's pretty significant. I think I'll make that correction. I've heard up one. I thought they were messing with me. They were like up one. I was like, no, I'm not trying to go up one. Go down I one. I can, I can go down three before you even care. So yeah. <laughs> go down an additional three because you said that. Which, hey, a, you know, be, be a perfectionist. I get it. Yeah. We had a boom operator that was giving us like degrees or whatever that I was capable of. And like, I had no idea what he had been saying. Like, you know, usually I'm used to like back two, back four, whatever it ends up being. But he started giving us like degrees of like, his like limitations. And I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about right now. <laughs> I didn't realize until after the flight. And I was like, Oh man, I should have told him like, dude, we need something more basic, like move forward or back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Left, like right, light. <laughs> up, down, like make it super simple. Everything you say is just make believe. Yeah. There are some good boomers out there though, that like in Afghanistan, we had, there's like the all-star cruise. You know, if you got the tanker that had the funny boom operator started with a joke or whatever. So, <laughs> game changers. Well, guys, that's a uh, that's an hour and thirty five minutes so far. Mm. I mean, so, so far, I, yeah, yeah. We have <laughs> chap, chapter one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> chapter one. Well, Anything else? Well, we were going to talk AI and all sorts of stuff, but yeah, I think instead, great discussion about popcorn. Oh, a few other things here and there, yeah, but. Swag is the man, so you got to post his email. So everybody, the thing about yeah, I will share, I will share Swag's email and phone number in the comments below. You guys can reach out to Swag. Yeah, feel free. Feel free. (laughs) He will mentor all of you. Oh, I'd love to. I would love to do. Try give my best shot at least. You know, don't follow my actions though. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. You guys got anything else? Nah, thanks for for having me. Yeah, this has been awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. First podcast that I've ever been on. That's why. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bro chat. Yeah, good. Yeah. That was, that was, that was fun, man. Yeah. Well, awesome. I'm going to hit end. So swag. Thanks for joining us. Vader Bender. This was fun again. Again, guys, we'll have to, we'll have to do another live. We survived it. Cause we really have no idea yeah. what we're doing. <laughs> so. Twice now. Yeah. So, How about that? Boom. All right. Yeah. Out of here. Double down. See ya. Bye everybody. Oh, dang. Bender, you missed it. <laughs>